0: So we've been going through the Gospel of John, and last week was kind of a turning point in the in the story, kind of yet again, where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and then he resurrects Lazarus from the dead, he calls him out of the grave, and it creates this big almost this divide where a lot of people start believing in him and a lot of people are going the other direction. They're reporting it to the chief priests. Anyway, in uh, John chapter 11, uh, verses um, 53 through 54 and 57, we have this. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. So we are in a period of, of crisis. Many people are believing in Jesus, and even if they had an incomplete understanding of the prophetic scriptures of the people were starting to piece together that this Jesus could be the prophet or even the Messiah that was spoken about. Think about that for a minute. What, what would your response be? So imagine if you lived in those days and you're hearing people talk about this man and the amazing things that he's done. And then you read the prophetic scriptures with your friends and your families, and you read verses like this. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. That's Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. And you think about that's what he. That, that's what's happening when Jesus is encountering people. So today, we'll pick it up in uh, the Gospel of John, a short time after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, uh, starting in John chapter 12. So open your Bibles with me. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. We're going to just take this a couple verses at a time. So verses 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. What would you do if the one that you believed was the son of God, who was the Messiah, who raised your loved one from the dead recently, was camping in the wilderness nearby? Well, in the case of Lazarus and uh, Martha and Mary, they throw them a dinner party. Martha serves the food. Lazarus reclines at the table with Jesus. And Mary brings out this large bottle of perfume. And it's got to be like an heirloom or like her most valuable possession. And what does she do with it? She pours the whole bottle over his feet, anointing his feet with oil and wiping his feet with her hair. And the whole house is filled with the fragrance. See what happens next. Verses 4 through 8. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. Should have been sold the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Uh, Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So in some versions, um Judas says the perfume's not just worth a year. He, he, he says the perfume is worth 300 denarii. And when I Googled the calculation, that's relatively, uh, that's close to like $33,000 by today's dollars. <clears throat> Mary's faith in Jesus blossomed into devotion. And she anointed his feet with her very expensive perfume. Jesus interprets her actions as his preparation for burial. Because he knows what the week is going to hold for him. But Judas is disgusted with the waste. Um, And I love how John just called him out (laughs) for being a thief. He was a treasure and he wouldn't. You know, help himself for uh, a little bit out of the out of the money box. Let's keep going. Verses nine through eleven. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. That makes sense, doesn't it? And this is a big deal. You've got two celebrities. In town, in the little village of Bethany, Uh, a man that had died and been raised from the dead and the man who had resurrected that dead man. And then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus, too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So, again, we've got this period of crisis more and more people are believing in Jesus and and, with the leading priest kind of upset about it, people are, are deserting them, are deserting their traditions in order to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to put their faith not in traditions of religion, but in the love and grace and truth that Jesus is talking about. And the uh, Jewish leaders, the leading priests, the Pharisees, they're plotting to kill him. And now Lazarus, too. So just um, imagine the tension. Um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like what we're experiencing now, right? You hear somebody cough or sneeze, and you're like, well, what do I do with that? What do I do with this? There's, there's, there's something at stake here, Right? And and this is the the scenario we see in in John chapter 12. So we'll keep going on in uh, 12 and 13. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings. On the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hail to the king of Israel. So that's from the New Living Translation. The New American Standard puts it this way. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So this phrase or this statement is from Psalm 118, it's verses 25 and 26, and here's a, a little bit from my uh, my, <laughs> my very interesting covered uh, John book from uh, Crown College, shout out to Crown College. Uh, anyway, it says this, <clears throat> Psalm 118 was one of the cycle of psalms that was sung at the Passover season. These verses constitute a prayer that the salvation of God might be immediately realized. Hosanna is not simply an exclamation of praise, but the Hebrew imperative, which means save now. The Passover expectation was the return of God's Messiah to deliver his people. Do you remember uh, when the first Passover happened? What was the scenario? The Israelite people were slaves in a foreign land. And God delivered his people from the hands of the Egyptians. Without a war or a battle, they were able to just pack up and walk out. And what about this current scenario? Israel is in its own land, but it's also under Roman rule. So what would it look like for God to deliver his people from that scenario, to save them now. Let's keep reading on. Verses 14 through 16. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered it to his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. And I thought this was interesting. I read this in two different uh, um, commentaries. In ancient times, leaders rode horses if they were going off to war. But they rode on donkeys if they were embarking on a mission of peace. So Jesus finds a young donkey to ride into the city of Jerusalem. Signifying that his mission is a mission of peace. We don't need to be afraid because our king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. He's not coming to wage war, but to offer peace. Last couple of verses we're going to look at today. Verses 17 through 19. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. And in some versions, they say the the whole world has gone after him. So in verse 9, we see people from the area of Bethany flocking to the home where the dinner party is being held so that they could see Jesus and Lazarus. In verse 12, news that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem swept through that city and a large crowd of Passover visitors came out of the city to meet Jesus on the road, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, save now! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And then in verses 17 and 18, John explains that the word spreading into into Jerusalem included the eyewitness testimony of Jesus calling Lazarus from the tomb after he was dead for four days. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they'd heard about this miraculous sign. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a young donkey as a king of peace. So we see in these first 19 verses of John chapter 12, several different responses to Jesus. Serving him at a dinner party, thrown in his honor, reclining at the table with him anointing his feet with a bottle of perfume valued at roughly $33,000. Flocking to see him, even when the Jewish leaders publicly ordered that anyone who saw Jesus was to report it immediately so that they could arrest him. And then spreading the word to visitors from around the known world that Jesus had raised a man from the dead. And then we have these Groups that are on opposite sides of the political elephant in the room. The people want Jesus to take over as the king of Israel. And the religious leaders are afraid that he will take over as the king of Israel. The reason they're afraid is his methods and teachings are too radical for the religious leaders. He doesn't fit into their idea of a good Jew. And then you have people like Judas Iscariot, who hear Jesus make claims of authority, but he does nothing in a military manner. And again, from my um, college textbook, the ensuing bewilderment of the disciples was caused by their inability to reconcile his willingness to be recognized as the king of Israel with his unwillingness to exert the secular authority that they thought all kings should use. So, today, what's your response to Christ Jesus? Do you respond out of devotion, pouring out your efforts and talents and treasures to bless him? Or do you simply just hang out with him, reclining, with him at the table? Do you testify to the amazing things that you've seen him do? Do you seek him out simply out of curiosity? Do you proclaim him as your choice for king and bless and praise his name? Or do you ever find yourself frustrated with the Lord? Do you have an expectation for how things were supposed to go? And every time life and circumstances don't meet that expectation, do you wonder if the Lord is even paying attention? Remember John's purpose for this gospel? These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. <clears throat> so now I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter five. And we're going to read some of Paul's writings on this king of peace. So we'll read to verses one through five. Therefore, Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too. So Jesus, in John chapter 5, is still on his mission. Because he is in the bosom of the Father, he's close to the heart of the Father. By grace and truth, he explains the Father to us. And he finds a young donkey to ride into the city of Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah nine. Read the whole thing here. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Let me rephrase that. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for you. You have peace with God. Jesus brokered that peace on your behalf. Because of your belief in what he has done for you, you have been made right in God's sight and been brought into this place of undeserved privilege. He even gives you the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with his love so that you know how dearly God loves you. And uh, the magnitude of this uh, coronavirus pandemic um, wasn't on my mind when I wrote this next part, but how's your heart responding to Jesus this morning? Are you rejoicing at problems and trials? You're frustrated that God isn't doing what you told him to do. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he did die on the cross to reconcile you to God, and that he brokered that peace between you and God. If Jesus, as the king of peace, sits on the throne of your heart. What? What would that look like? According to Romans 5, it would look like confidently and joyfully looking forward to seeing God's glory. It it would look like rejoicing when we run into problems and trials. And and I think those two are tied together. Because when we run into problems and trials, if we give those up to the Lord... He's gonna do something about it. And he's gonna get the glory for that. And then we get to share in him being glorified through his own actions. And hopefully we have a we've got a longer view of life. Rather than melting down or pouting um, or getting upset at problems, when Jesus, the King of Peace, sits on the throne of your heart. You see problems as an opportunity to grow in endurance. And how is that the case? For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And when your hearts are filled with God's dear love for you, problems and trials can be looked at as endurable. If God is for me, who can be against me? So, Omaha Vineyard Church, what would it look like if Jesus, the King of Peace, is on the throne of our hearts as a body? When our brothers and sisters share the trials and problems that they're facing, or even when our neighbors or coworkers workers share their trials and problems with us. What does it look like for Christ's church to respond when the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of Peace? We confidently and joyfully look forward to God getting the glory by putting our faith in Him. We respond knowing of His dear love for us and with that in mind, See trials as opportunities, looking at problems as opportunities. When Jesus is the king of peace is at the center of our own hearts and our relationships and our church body, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with God's love for us. And when we face problems and trials, knowing how dearly he loves us, We can respond with eager anticipation to see how God will show his power and love and glory. And when those problems simply become opportunities for us to grow in our faith, grow in our character, and grow in our confident hope of salvation, we're closer to God. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. If trials bring us close to God, then trials become something we can rejoice about. That's it. That's what I've got for us today. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And uh, um, for ministry time today, let's keep doing it. Uh, I don't know if we've got any comments on the, uh, oh, nice. we got some, we got some visitors here today. Hey, Greg Zahn. Hey, Marianne Johnson. Anyway, for ministry time today, here's what I want to challenge us to. <clears throat> Where can the King of Peace minister to you today? What areas of your life include problems and trials? What can we bring before our Lord Jesus Christ, looking forward to sharing in his glory when he does move on our behalf? So find somebody that you can pray with and maybe they're in your home Maybe they're on the phone. Maybe there's a video chat. Um, the Lord is the Lord no matter how we're connecting with each other, whether we're shaking hands or bumping elbows or, or just, uh, you know, live long and prosper. But let's be honest, right? Where can the King of Peace minister to me today? And when you're interacting with others, let's go there let's be willing to go there and be brokers of peace just like Jesus what areas of your life include problems and trials what can we bring before the Lord and hold open like this so that he can easily put stuff in and take stuff out right that that that's that's a reason why we do this we don't want to hold on to problems and we don't want to be have our hands clenched to receive something because we'll probably drop it. But when we hold our hands open like this, He can remove stuff from our lives and He can place stuff in our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that this week, this is what your message is about. You come to us as a king of peace in the midst of crisis, in the midst of um, plots to kill and and, and um, adoration, all at the same time. And what we're facing today is scary. So minister to our hearts today, Lord. Be the king of peace, sitting on the throne of our hearts we bring to you those areas in our lives where there's problems, where there's trials. And we'll just give those to you and let you do what you do because you're good. And we just, you know what, if, if we're struggling with that understanding of you filling our hearts with your love for us, Holy spirit, come, come in power. Now, wherever we are, um, And fill our hearts with your dear love for us, that we would experience that. And through experiencing that, we would be ministers of peace just like you to others.